So what's up at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum? There is lots to discuss and fun to look forward to. It's on tip of the tongue. Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Issa Benz, and Issa is the creative director at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum here in New Orleans. We haven't done enough podcasts recently letting you know what's going on at SOFAB, so I thought this would be the perfect time to bring Isa on. Welcome, Isa. Thanks, Liz. So let's get started. Tell me exactly what is up at SOFAB. Oh, we're working on a ton of new exhibits. Really exciting. So tell me about them. So the first one is our sugar exhibit, which we already have, but it's been somewhere else. So, I mean, I think you can talk a little bit about that development and how we're going to you know, make it bigger and better for the Research Center, which is going to be, of course, our next exhibit over at the Research Center. So that'll be in October, Mm -hmm. and we've chosen October for several reasons. The most important one is that that is the the month of the Sugar Festival in St. Bernard Parish. So once we have a sugar exhibit up, then everybody who's there for the Sugar Festival festival will be sure to come by and that's kind of fun that's perfect that's because domino's from chalmette right domino is actually in araby oh okay. but it's still saint bernard saint parish. bernard parish yeah and um and the old exhibit was in the old araby jail really in the shadow of the domino refinery uh-huh but it was damaged in one of the hurricanes and so we had to take it out so that they could do the repairs on the building. And so why not use it if we have it? Yeah, so, no, that's perfect. Yeah. How did you decide to put it in the old jail? So St. Bernard Parish had received a grant to restore the old jail in order to make it into a, a little museum about sugar. Cool. And so we won the contract to put this together, and that's how we got there. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And people used to go and, and see it, but then it was damaged. Mm-hmm. Actually, we were fortunate. None of the artifacts was damaged, and the, pretty much the whole exhibit could be brought out. But the building itself is damaged and so you really can't fix the building with the exhibit still there yeah no that's valid but very exciting for us it's totally exciting (laughs) for us yes yeah and we're also going to have a domino lecture at the same time do we know who's speaking yet so right now the plan is for psyche williams forson to talk to us about her new book, which won a James Beard Award, wow. and it is called Eating While Black. And the plan is that I'll be interviewing her on the stage in the auditorium, and we'll be taping it, and we'll turn that into a live with audience podcast taping. 
And it'll be fun because we'll be able to take questions from the audience and it'll be really an interesting podcast. That's so exciting. Is that going to be in the research center or? In the auditorium that's adjacent to the research center. Amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. That's going to be so exciting. So that's our, one of our exhibits. Right. The next one is, I'm just so excited about the pure aesthetics of this more than anything else, but also because it's going to be a very interesting exhibit is our menu exhibit. Yes. So, I mean, you came to me with this idea and I was like, wow, yes, love this. Because we do already collect a lot of menus in our research center. How many menus do we have? We have over 5,000. Wow, that's incredible. And I've read what you've written personally about your own menus that you make at your dinner parties. But she's apparently taken this and run with it. To another level, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you actually had the pleasure of going to her house. So what was that like, her very detailed approach to her dinner parties? Well, I only knew that she, because I'd eaten at her home, I knew that she always had a menu that everybody got, and the menus were embellished with her watercolor paintings. And she has a theme and so the th- but every single menu is is different. Wow. And because the painting is different. And they're just really lovely. Well, so when I approached her about the idea of an exhibit with those menus, she said, oh, no, what you really want are our Thanksgiving menus. And she and another couple have had Thanksgiving together for 35 or more years. Wow. And they don't have a traditional Thanksgiving meal. I think they might have after 9-11 just to do something really American. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, for this little group, they always have another exhibit. I mean, not exhibit. They always have another dinner that they've planned. And the reason that the menus are so exciting is that her friend is a calligrapher. So she hand... um, copies the menu uh, uh, for every single person who's there. And then half of them, she watercolors, and the other half are uh, Susan watercolors. And then everybody gets this wonderful memento to take home. But in addition to the extravagance of these things, because they're big and they're pretty and they're just lovely, wonderful things... They have planning dinners to plan the menu for Thanksgiving. Amazing. And every one of them has a menu. Wow. So, I mean, this is just, this is just wonderful. It's a passion project, really. Definitely. Yeah. And what they've done is they have built this archive of their own materials that tell the story of Thanksgiving with the same group. So they've built their own family. And what it means, it tells the story of their own feelings about food and drink, uh-huh. because all of that is documented in the menu. Exactly. And of course, everybody knows what Thanksgiving is, but it is something that is, this is a way to celebrate Thanksgiving that is unusual, but that is still traditional at the same time, because it's the same people every time. Uh-huh. and. So it, it's just, it's a wonderful sort of bird's eye view into one, one 
Thanksgiving family. And I just, I think that that's that so, is so exciting. Yes. And then we can also put it in the larger context of the history of the menu mm-hmm. and what a menu is and why we have menus. And so, you know, we could just go on and on about why it's important. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it'll make everybody think about their own dinners and their own lives And, well, maybe they should have menus, too. Yeah, definitely. And I know that you've written about this on your Substack, too. So for the people, for your listeners out there who aren't currently subscribed to your Substack, I think it's in the archive, though. You want to talk a little bit about your approach to menus and what you've written about it? Sure. So the name of my Substack newsletter is Tip of the Tongue. Same as the name of the podcast. Amazing. (laughs) And I've really talked about menus and having personalized menus at your own dinner parties. And I know that there's a lot of movement away from dinner parties and that people go out to eat with their friends as opposed to inviting them to their own homes to Mm -hmm. eat. But there's something really special about doing something where you cook and you produce the food. And even if you don't cook and you buy the food, Serving it in your own home without anybody else around is really a lovely way to visit together. Definitely, And so I think that the way to let people know what, what's coming is to give them a menu. So that's the most obvious point of the menu. Uh-huh. Um, and so if somebody really likes that soup that you served in the beginning, well, Maybe they won't have a second bowl, even though you're <laughs> offering it to them, because they see what else is coming. And having that that warning is really wonderful, because you don't want to have the second bowl of soup and then find out you love even more what comes after it. <laughs> and so, you know, if you have a sort of um, roadmap of uh-huh. what the dinner is going to be, it's kind of good for you. So yeah. that's that's the simple, most straightforward way to look at it. But then secondarily, you have a record of everything that you've cooked by keeping that menu. So and, true. And some t- sometimes what I do is I have write everybody's name who attended on the back. Oh, that's and so nice. that way I remember who was there. Yeah. And so, you know, I think all of that it just tells you something about what you've done it makes it a, a, a kind of document of your life, too. Definitely. And it's like pictures it's nice. and, exactly. and memories in different forms. That's right. It is. It's kind of like a picture. Yeah. And know. then, I mean, hundreds of years from now, somebody can look back on your menus and see what people were serving at dinner parties around this time. Maybe so, yes. But <laughs> one of the things that I don't do is I don't make a menu for everybody. I just make a menu for the table because I am not as into the the actual drawing and writing <laughs> of it as as uh, some people are. But I do think it's important well, to, that's okay. to have one. <laughs> I do also know insider information that Liz's handwriting is absolutely beautiful. And we have her write things all around the museum <laughs> because nobody's handwriting will ever amount to anything close to it. So I wouldn't sell yourself too short, Liz. <laughs> So what else is going on? We're actually, and this is also a very excited, I'm very excited about this. We're adding a new state. Oh. Yes. Can you guess what the state is, Liz? 
Well, if it has anything to do with you, then it must be Puerto Rico. Oh, my goodness. Good job. Except that it's not a state. No, it's not a state, but it is part of the country. That's right. And everybody who lives there is an American citizen. Yes. And so, I mean, when I came, I saw we had a certain artifact from Puerto Rico. Do you remember what it was? Yes, I don't know what it's called. The Gigante Mas? Yes, Yes, yes. Yeah, and I was like, are you guys doing an exhibit on Puerto Rico? And you were like, well, I've been trying to. And then now we just decided it was the time. And I'm very excited about this. still very early in the works, but we want to do this right. You know, we want to be able to celebrate the history and the culture of Puerto Rico and the food. And also, I mean, what better time? Because the Jazz Festival this past year had a whole section on Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, that's right. And it's also true that the... We don't really have the Caribbean, although the food of the South has been so influenced by the Caribbean. Definitely. We don't have any representation of the Caribbean in the museum, and this would allow us to have that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really an important element and that we should definitely do it. And it also emphasizes the fact that what we are calling the South is not related to the Civil War South Mm -hmm. and the (laughs) Mason-Dixon line, but is really a more modern, new South kind of definition of what the South is. And where else would you put Puerto Rico? Yeah, and just how interconnected everything is, you know? And, well, so, also, side note, remember last time I was telling you about the Bloomberg app. That's right. So that's Bloomberg's um, Culture Connect app. No, not the Culture Connect app. Edit this part out, Liz. It's the Bloomberg Connect app. And we have our own SoFab section on this app, our guide, and it's very exciting. You can go through and you can read about the Gallery of the South, MOTAC, and now the Trail of Smoke and Fire. And so my dad was actually, because I told him about the app, he downloads the app, he reads it, and he sees that we mentioned the Taino Indians in the Trail of Smoke and Fire and how they added to barbecue food, right? which... um. As you know, Taino Indians are also in Puerto Rico. That's right. And so that's just even something that I'd read it, but it did, of course, because I put it in the app, you know, and you wrote it and I proofread it and all of this stuff. But it hadn't actually clicked for me until my dad was like, wait a second. The whole history of barbecue has to do with Puerto Rico as well, although it is a small island in the Caribbean, you know, very far. You have to pass Cuba to get there. You know, but it it is so interconnected to our food in the South, but also, I mean, food across the country, too, because there are Puerto Ricans across the country. Sure, of course. And there are Southern people around the country. Of course. Mm -hmm. But that's one of my favorite things about the different exhibits that we do and that we're working on now is that we can study this interconnectivity and how food has its origins in different places, of course, but it's not limited to those origins. Right. And one of the things I love about the museum, as you can, say, see the Mississippi exhibit, and then you go over and see, say, the South Carolina exhibit, and something is going to carry over for you so that you see how they're together. And you can go back to Mississippi and say, (laughs) wait, did I understand that? Isn't this just like that? And so I I love that part of it Mm -hmm. because it really allows you to make your own connections. Not just the ones we make, but the ones you make, too. And you can even see how, I mean, the big green egg 
looks like a lot of other barbecue things, you know, but there are so many different inventions too, like our little gadgets, our kitchen gadgets that you can come and play with at the museum. I love those things because you look at all these different completely different looking things and they all do the same thing not all of them of course but there are a few ones that look completely different that do the same things right and i mean i've talked to you about this before but we talk about trademarks and how everyone wanted to have their own trademark of whatever but i mean it shows you how many different ways there are to crack an egg that's right (laughs) (laughs) or to mash a potato or to mash a potato if you watch our complete kitchen show you'll see me in one of the episodes mashing potatoes with a beer glass (laughs) a pint glass it worked it did it totally works it has yet to fail me someday i'm gonna actually accidentally mash a little bit too hard and then there are gonna be pieces of glass in my mashed potatoes hopefully that doesn't happen but you know yeah you can never rule it out that's right that's right so okay we've talked about the sugar exhibit, we've talked about the menu exhibit, we've talked about Puerto Rico, anything else going on? Well, you know, we have a lot of exciting things planned for the garden, too. Tell tell me. So, as I've been learning from you specifically, but also from being around the garden, when it gets hot, plants go to seed. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) Didn't know that. But now I do, so that's awesome. So we've been collecting a lot of those seeds to use for one thing in our archive, but also for future seasons. But now we're rethinking, you know, the different layouts of the of the garden. And we're also going around different portions of the museum and seeing how we can actually um, contextualize them in a way that is not just visually cool, but also informative. So I want to set up little areas in the garden that you can come and hang out and have a good time. We're doing, we're building a garden wall. Is that what it's called? A wall garden. A wall garden. I was so close. But that I'm really excited about because we'll be able to see, you know, just that different side of it. Do we know yet what we're going to plant? Well, we know we're going to be planting things that cascade. So Mm -hmm. that could be things like mint and strawberries, but we're going to be planting lots and lots of things and lemon balm, all these things that cascade that the way that you want it to to hang down in the garden Uh so that and there are different kinds of rosemary that cascade and so i love we'll be we'll be doing lots of planting nasturtium yeah it's going to be a really really a wonderful garden and i just love the idea that it's a vertical garden yes and not a flat horizontal garden and um and it's going to be made out of milk crates. And that is also food related. Yes. Oh, no, it totally is. And also it goes down to, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day about how every we repurpose so many things around the museum. And we just put up a little display in Motac with all of our shot glasses that we have on display. But that was repurposed from something that we actually received as a donation. And I sanded it down, painted it. The shelves, we didn't come with the little display case, but we have a bunch of... Are those also milk crates? What are those? No, they're just wooden crates. Wooden crates? Yeah, okay. for multiple purposes. Multi-purpose yeah. wooden crates yes. <laughs> with little panels on the side. And so I took one of them and just took it apart and taped the panels together and made shelves for it 
But that's just, I. that's another thing that I really appreciate about Round Here is that we can do that, you know? We can have these, like, little innovative ways that you don't need to completely buy new things to make an exhibit. And I, I really appreciate that approach to sustainability that we have yeah. in that way. I, I really think that, for me, a lot of that comes from just the family that was the most frugal family ever. <laughs> and so, I mean, my grandmother never threw anything away. She used the newspaper. She used paper bags. Mm-hmm. She just, you know, was constantly doing that. My grandmother used to take a sheet, and once the sheet got its edges frayed and it was starting to get really soft, if it was not salvageable as a, you know, a whole piece of cloth, she would cut out of it. Oh, wow. And, you know, once it was kind of soft, then it was uh-huh. okay to blow your nose or use it yeah. um, like a handkerchief. So she would make handkerchiefs out of things. Then sometimes she would make like a slip or a nightgown out of the rest of it oh my God. for herself. That's so cute. And so, I mean, nothing went to waste. Mm-hmm. And then she would make little dolls with the pieces, like wow. stuff them with cotton. Yeah. That she saved every time she got medicine, she saved her cotton. So she had these jars full of cotton everywhere. And so she never bought balls of cotton because <laughs> she had all this free cotton that came in her medicine. And yeah. uh, so everything was like that at her house. And yet, you know, she had all these other little nice things that she would do. So she ironed everything. And I mean, she ironed my grandfather's underpants. I mean, just everything. And so she would make these two kinds of water that she would iron with. So for him and his things, she made it with rosemary, and it was like a rosemary water, and she would sprinkle it on like a handkerchief to make it steam, and then she would iron it, and the handkerchief would smell like rosemary. Wow. And she did the same thing with lavender or lemon peel or whatever to make other things smell like whatever she Uh was working on. And so everything in her house smelled good. So it sounds like everything was a hand-me-down kind of thing, but it wasn't. It was like very intentional. It's a lot of work because she did everything from scratch. (laughs) But it was just like, well, I want your grandfather to have a a handkerchief that smells good. You know, it was just like that was important to Mm -hmm. her. And so... She would make this kind of tea out of rosemary, and she would water it down so it wasn't going to stain mm-hmm. the whatever she was marking. And then everything smelled wonderful. You'd get into her sheets, and it was like lavender. You That's know? so beautiful. Yeah, it was really lovely. It's like a love language through attention to detail, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, That's or, really sweet. She That was the way she was. But anyway, all of that, like I remember my mother would take, towels that were starting to get so thin and they'd have holes in them and she would sew two towels together because the holes never matched (laughs) and then she would hand sew it with big stitches I mean it wasn't like something that you had to take long time to do but she'd go across and and then make a you know all these crossways to keep it from separating because Mm -hmm. she went around the outside and sewed them together but then they 
basically like a sack. Uh-huh. But in order to keep it as a towel, she would sew wow. across it so that it was close together. And then you use that towel wow. until that <laughs> towel fell apart. So, I mean, nothing got thrown away at my house. That's why I'm kind of obsessed with not wasting things. Oh, no, I love that. I mean, you look at that actualizing and today, you know, thrift flipping is so popular. Mm -hmm. That's how I learned how to sew is I just go thrift things and then make them fit me. Yeah. And I think it's just, I mean, for one thing, of course, sustainability. It's the better way to, to have new clothes and all of that stuff. But it's also, you know, you have access to all these fabrics that you wouldn't otherwise you have a base that you're working with that gives you inspiration and things like that, you know. I think it's really cool seeing how people repurpose things and also being right. able to repurpose things around the museum. Things that I wouldn't even have considered sometimes. You bring ideas and sometimes somebody else does and it's like, wow. I remember in the Juke Joint exhibit, the wood from there was just wood that I personally, because I just started working at the museum, I found in the in the garden somewhere in a pile and there's bugs all over it and whatnot. But it was actually in another mu- in another exhibit, right? Right. It was the wall. It, it's burned, charred uh-huh. wood, and it had no finish on it. It was just the char that yeah. was the finish. And we used it because it reflected the inside of a barrel. That's amazing. And so if you were trying to show people what the inside of a barrel looked like, here it was. This is what it looked like. So cool. And so that was that was what we were trying to evoke with that finish. How, did you char it yourself or did uh-huh. you get it charred? No, no. You could buy it like oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. You can get a lighter char, a medium char, or a heavy char. This was medium char. That sounds like a great job to have, just well, charring wood. Right, right. You'd have your blowtorch and you're just going to char the wood. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> But it's really cool to me how that can serve different purposes as well. Right. You know, and it, and still you approach it from a cool artistic point of view and, and the aesthetic is completely different. Right. You know, this, it had nothing to do with the inside of a barrel, but it still worked and that, that was cool. And so I'm really excited to see how we pull that off with these new exhibits too. Yeah. I, it is very satisfying. And sometimes you wind up working with something that's very, well-made mm-hmm. because it's old, mm-hmm. but if you bought a new one, it might not be as, as well-made. Totally. Yeah. And then there's just something small that's wrong with it. Maybe it's the finish is coming off or something like that. I had never used sanding paper in my life, but now I have. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we I put wallpaper around some of the shelves in the gift shop and gave it just a completely new look. And it's I think it's really cool how that works. And it's also satisfying, like, doing a puzzle, you know, a jigsaw puzzle where you're like, oh, that fits perfectly there. Right. You know, it's like we have all of the resources around us that if we just think about it a little bit differently, it'll it'll just fit. And and in our our quest for sustainability, we're, like, we have our compost bin Uh now. So we're actually composting. So all of the students who come in and are chopping and having skins of their onions and all that mm-hmm. that's left over when you're cooking. It goes into the compost. I love and that. now we have a garden where we can use the compost. So it's just a wonderful circle that exactly. we're creating. Exactly. I love that. And we're going to look for the the wall garden, yes. right? Okay, yes. yes, the wall garden. 
into kind of recycling rainwater for that as well. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is really cool. And, I mean, another thing we were talking about is a, a water fixture for the garden. Right. Yes. I'm so excited about that. We still have to figure out what it is. If anyone knows any water fixtures that they think would would help, please let us know. But I'm also extremely interested in figuring out how to rig that so it it waters the planters Mm -hmm. at the same time instead of overfilling when it rains or something like that. Then the water cycles through as well. But, you know, you're using the water that we have, you know, all of the resources. Right. I, I think all of that is really important. And the water feature not only is pleasant for humans, Mm -hmm. but it's also important for the pollinators. And we're in the middle of the city. And so because there aren't as many plantings in the city part as there are in some of the residential areas, Mm -hmm. we don't have as many pollinators as there are in the residential areas. And so that makes a big difference. And and. We were very conscious of needing to have a water feature to bring the pollinators to drink in in the yard. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah. That's awesome. I I saw it. That's why we saw bees in the garden the other day, and we got so excited. Exactly. (laughs) I was sitting there, too, a couple weeks ago, and I saw a butterfly, and I took a picture of it. I'll I'll post it so everyone can see it. But uh, that was just so great. Yeah. it was so happy to be there, too. It was going around all the different planters. And, you know, I, I think it's pretty cool that uh, we've really extended the educational mission of the museum out into the garden. Yes. And and it's still lovely and fun at the same time. Exactly. And just fascinating, yeah. you know, to see, because we serve or we sell filet. That's right. And now we're growing a sassafras tree. We have two sassafras trees. We have two sassafras trees. That's amazing. And And people don't even know they've never seen one before. Exactly. Or, I mean, I didn't know where filet came from Mm -hmm. or what came first, the filet of the tree. (laughs) But I think it's so cool to see how things are made, how things are grown, all of this background information that's that goes into the food that you eat that from a nutritional standpoint it's also very important you know to know where things come from but also just from a culinary standpoint as well there are so many things that that I didn't personally know how they were made until I started working here and I'm so excited to share that with people and then when you add the cultural aspect like the menus I mean all of these things are connected and I think that that's one of the fun things that we can do here is not only show people, but also have a collection so that in the future people can look back on what, what we've collected and have, have not only a written history, but also an anthropological, archaeological mm-hmm. kind of history. No, 100%. I'm so excited to tell more of these food stories, you know, they just conceptualize different things for people when they come into the museum, and also for me while I'm making them because you know I'm always learning about this stuff too so thanks so much Isa for coming on today I think we learned a whole lot about what's coming and it's kind of exciting thanks for having me no I'm super excited (laughs) bye-bye bye thanks for listening to tip of the tongue a part of the nitty grits network of the southern food and beverage museum Subscribe to this and other food and drink related podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to keep up with me, Liz Williams, you can subscribe to my Substack newsletter, 
also called Tip of the Tongue, for more information about this podcast, recipes, and just what is going on. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.